Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to our second Sunday special edition of the 1871 podcast. And what a guest we've got for you today. Actually, he's normally a co-host, but today, Dylan Kerr, this episode is all about you. But first, how are you feeling, Reading fans, after yesterday's game at Barnsley? Still seven games to go and a few more ups and downs, I'm sure. But I'm feeling pretty confident that Reading can do what is needed in the last seven games to stay up. So before we speak to Dylan, here's what's coming up for you next week on the 1871 podcast. Another packed week of guests. And on Tuesday, we've got Dylan's former teammate, Simon Osborne as our special guest. And as I think you know, Dylan is friends with a few celebrities from the world of football and music. And on Wednesday, our special guest is Heaven 17's Martin Ware. Now, for those of you who don't know, Heaven 17 are without question one of the greatest bands of all time. And Martin is responsible for one of the greatest songs of all time, Temptation. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you know that of a certain age, of course, going back to the 80s. Um, But what's that got to do with Reading FC, I hear you ask? Well, he's a mate of Dylan's, so that means whatever Dylan tells us today, Martin Ware can (laughs) tell us the real story about Dylan, and there are definitely some great stories to listen to. So Martin Ware is our guest on Wednesday evening, then on Thursday evening, we've got another brilliant guest, Heidi Barker who is an amazing young fundraiser for Alzheimer's Research. And she does have a connection with the Royals. And she has a great story for us about how Paul Ince narrowly avoided being being splatted on the head by an egg as part of her fundraising activities. And then on Friday, our guest is former Royals goalkeeping coach Dave Besson. And for a special Saturday morning episode next weekend, We're joined by Royals legend Jamie Curiton, who I'm sure you remember scored that classic goal at Brentford that secured promotion for the Royals and gave Reading the platform they needed to go on and win promotion to the Premiership. And then, it doesn't stop there, next Sunday we start our countdown to choosing the greatest Royals eleven from the last 50 years. So, that's all coming up. But now, ladies and gentlemen... It's time to introduce you to Royals legend, Dylan Kerr. Hello, Dylan. I haven't seen you for all of about two days. How are you? <clears throat> I'm good. I'm good. I'm just getting myself warmed up. <laughs> getting yourself warmed up for the song. We're going to be talking about that. And look, here, here are just a few of the things I'm going to be talking to you about today, Dylan. Firstly, being born in Malta, starting your playing career as a goal-scoring midfielder, being soaked in chicken blood, all the famous celebrities you know, including the likes of Vinnie Jones, your time at Reading, obviously, your own Royals song, Utopia, obviously, Jimmy Quinn and Mick Gooding, obviously, being a manager, and a lot to talk about uh, in terms of your career as a manager, and loads of other stuff. So my first question to you is, are you looking forward to it? 
I am usually. I'm. I'm. I'm the one asking the the, the other celebrities uh, yeah. questions, picking their brains. So yeah, I mean, I, I hope. Listen, if anybody's got insomnia, they may as well tune into this because. I'll probably send them to the, to sleep by the time we finish. I, I, I suspect there could be could be a few chuckles, um, but look, you are look, you are a Royals legend. But first and foremost, you're you're a mate of mine, so it is easy to forget just how much success you've had in the game. So, um, how many trophies have you won as a player and, and manager, or have you lost count? Well, it's easy. I can't lost count. I can just look at my my, my legs, especially that one there. Yeah, you know, obviously that 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 oh, one. There you go. There's a red in tattoo on your leg. The prize one. Um, well, it all if you, if you if you think about it, it started at uh, it started at Sheffield Wednesday. I won promotion, even though I was an apprentice and never played a game, but I was part of the squad. So I won promotion at Sheffield Wednesday. Then I came to South Africa, won the uh, inaugural uh, first tournament called the BP Top A. Uh, after being in the country for three months, uh, for three weeks, sorry. Then I came back to Leeds. We won back-to-back championships, the old Division Two, the old Division One, now the championship in the Premier League. Uh, then I went to Reading and obviously won um, the League Two championship. But I went to Blackpool the year before and we got promoted from Black with Blackpool. Uh, so I was part of that. Then I went to Scotland, Kilmarnock. Won the Scottish Cup. Then I went to Hamilton Ackies, won the Scottish third division after being deducted minus 15 points for at the start of the season. I went to America. Was that anything, and, was that anything to do with you? Yes, yeah, that's no, 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 not the minus 15. <laughs> I, I came and rescued them. <laughs> and then I went to America and, and, and won a, a tournament in San Diego, which, which was the first in the club's history. And then I started my professional career as a coach. Came to South Africa and went to Vietnam. I won the, the equivalent of the FA Cup in Vietnam. I think I'm the only English person to have won a trophy in that area in Southeast Asia. But I might be wrong, but I think Brian Robson, Peter Reid, uh, Robbie Fowler haven't won anything in, in their time in Southeast Asia. Uh, I came to Tanzania and had a good, good year, but I didn't win anything with Simba uh, due to politics with the, the football club and their interference with uh, the board members, which obviously didn't work out. Uh, being a Yorkshireman, you know, we say what we like and we like what we bloody well say, as they say. And then I went to Kenya and won back-to-back titles with Gormahia and then came to South Africa. And I've taken three clubs out of the relegation area and kept their PSL status and also won my first, again, equivalent to the FA Cup, the Nedbank Cup, with uh, Chikuma Chat, Madzi Vandila. And currently I am, uh, again, trying to rescue Swallows FC uh, from relegation into the into the NFD, kind of in the same situation as uh, Redinar. Um, you know, playing against Barnsley, we're playing against Maritzburg. It's a, it's a, it's a win-win. You know, that, it's a big six-pointer. So I've got to make sure, you know, tonight, you know, that uh, we, we, we get a result. We get three points. Yeah, so um, you're, you're basically the equivalent of, of Neil Warnock in South Africa, pretty much. Um, well, it's usually Sam Allardyce, but you know I'm better looking than Sam, and I'm better looking Fair than enough. Neil Warnock. Anyway. Talk, then talk, again, some people. Yeah, talk, talking of being better looking, I know that when you were younger, you had, believe it or not, very long hair. So um, let, let's start at the. Let's talk about that, but let's start at the beginning. 
you were born in Malta. Now, I could say how, I could say how did that come about, but it's a family show, so I won't ask you that. But um, let, let's just say how how did your parents come to be in, in Malta and you being born there? Well, my dad was in the sorry, Mark. I've got tiny. I've got there's no power here, and there you go. Oh, we should say <laughs> we should say by the way that um, you are prone to power cuts in in South Africa and. Uh, and we stayed at a casino. There's no way that the lights will go down. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. The, the power shortage at the casino. That's cool. So, yeah, so Malta, take, take us back to the beginning. Yeah, my dad was in the Royal Navy um, and my mum, uh, they got married out in Malta. Um, uh, obviously, she was pregnant um, when she got there. And uh, I, basically, I lived there t- till I was two. You know, my dad left the navy. Navy, all the all the family are in the mining business. They're all pitmen. Uh, so he came back to England, back to Sunny Mexborough, and that's where I grew up. You know, that's where I grew up, and I lived there uh, up until Mum passed away two years ago. In between going to Scotland and obviously travelling the world, uh, you know, trying to chase my football dream of trying to <laughs> work in England. But you know, uh, I can't complain. I mean, a beautiful country of South Africa. So. Yeah, um, you know, so it's 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 worked out really really well for me uh, on a football front. But obviously, I, I would love to be given the opportunity to try and come back home and and uh, show people what I've been doing abroad. We we keep reminding us of of how good the weather is at this time of year out there. So um, presumably, and now I'm going to come to your, your long hair in a minute. But firstly, I'm guessing if you'd have wanted to, um, you could have played for Malta. But you didn't. How, I mean, what happened there? How did? How come you didn't didn't sort of get a chance to play for Malta? I was I was actually asked uh, by the Maltese FA in 1991 when they found out. Obviously, when I made my debut at Leeds in 1990, um, Malta had started, you know, trying to get back into world football. Uh, but they had a German coach, and unfortunately, uh, the German coach didn't didn't think, you know, an English player would add anything to the Maltese structure. So. Uh, even though the Maltese FA and the press were, you know, saying, well, why is this Leeds United player not uh, being selected for Malta? Because I, I qualified for them being born there. Um, but, you know, the German coach seemed to think that, you know, I wasn't suitable for for his style of play or obviously maybe he didn't like Englishmen. So I don't know. But uh, it didn't happen, which is a shame, really. So was he, was he there for a long time? Or, you know, what happened when the, the next guy came in? Was it sort of a no, bit... And I, you know, once once the once that had happened, I just t- to be fair, I just thought, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, if it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't. But you know, my my godparents are still alive and well in Malta. I've not seen them for thirty odd years, to be honest. Um, one day, hopefully, while they're alive, I may may once may hopefully pop over to the island. But you know, obviously now with you know most of my family, you know, passed away, and you know, it's it's very very difficult. So yeah. And, and I mentioned um, a lot of Reading fans won't know this, but you did have very long hair when you were younger. What, what was what was that all about? How come you didn't get your hair cut? I don't know. I just I just I, my, my granddad was a big Charlie George fan, and he, he loved Charlie George's long hair. So when I was a kid, it, that's what he used to call me. He used to call me Charlie, you know, because you know we always used to watch football together, especially the FA Cup when it used to be when it used to be on at eight o'clock in the morning. You used to sit with your family. You know, draw the curtains, get your flags, get whatever. Whoever was playing in the cup final, it was a big day back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and I always used to, 
sit with my granddad and my dad and and, and everybody and you know he he just said get your hair cut you know you like you look like Charlie George and uh, I, I just you know I don't know I just it was only um, when I joined Sheffield Wednesday that uh, Peter Eustace told me to cut my hair because I look like you know he says he's not a footballer's hair cut that and I said well Charlie George was a footballer. Uh, and he had long hair, so but I, I actually got a wedge, obviously an eighties wedge, because I, I I love my eighties music. So I, I had a I had a kind of a filoki, but not not as not as uh, crazy as filokis, but I kind of have that little the fringe over the eye, you know. So yeah. uh, and again, when I had that done, they sent me straight back to the hairdressers and said, "You can't play football with hair like that." So you know, I had to have it cut uh, uh, again, and <laughs> so but at least I've got my hair mark still. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. No, I'm 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 envious. I mean, we talked about it, talked about this the other day, didn't we? But look, you um you were a left back at Reading, obviously, but you started as a as a midfielder and and uh, an attacking midfielder. You scored plenty of goals. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So when when in your younger days before you turned pro, um, you know what you used to score like loads of goals, didn't you, from midfield? Yeah, I, I I was one of these kids that you know were were, were always um, always thought he was good enough, but I was never uh, thought I was good enough by the the representatives of Doncaster schools, Yorkshire schoolboys, uh, Sheffield and Armshire schools, and even though I was always in the top teams in in, in you know uh, as a fourteen year old I was playing under eighteen football and the nineteen football, and I was an attacking midfielder and I was I was one of these box to box midfielders because I could run. And and when I signed for Sheffield Wednesday, uh, I, I signed. I, I was probably one of the first YTS apprentice professionals. I think I was the first one. If I'm, if I'm, if somebody can correct me on that, I think I was the first uh, apprentice professional to sign as a youth training scheme uh, government player. And the, uh, I'll be honest, the only reason I signed for Sheffield Wednesday is because I could run, and Howard Wilkinson loved running, and but I would leave people for dead. Even at my, even at Reading, you know, there's only Mickey Gooding, you know, that that could actually either beat me or you know stay up with me or you know even sometimes I beat Jordy. Jordy had a freaking great engine on him, but after about come in after about um, when my contract was coming up uh, in obviously the end of May, I asked Howard and Peter Eustace if uh, you know what, what was his thoughts. And they said, well, we don't see you as a midfielder. We don't think you've got, you know, the, the, the quality uh, that we're looking for as a midfielder. But we think that you could be a great left back because you've got a great left foot, you've got a great engine, and that's what we love about you. And they gave me six weeks to prove that I could, you know, become a left back. And by hook or by crook, I worked with some great players, Nigel Worthington, Mick Lyons, Mark Smith, Laurie Madden, uh, John Ryan, who came uh, to Sheffield Wednesday, Ian Bailey, uh, and Mel Sterling was a great, great help to me uh, when I was at uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Brian Marwood, Lee Chapman, Andy Blair, all of them uh, in Riverhead, everybody helped me. Uh, they all loved me and they helped me. And uh, at the end of the season, I knocked on the gaffer's door, fearing the worst, um, but he gave me a, a year's professional uh, contract at Sheffield Wednesday as a left back. and. He said, well done, you've, you've proved us all wrong and you deserve the contract. Well, look, Dylan, we're going to take a quick break now, but um, we've got loads to talk about. So uh, we bet we'll be back right after this. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. 
If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So, Dylan, I mentioned earlier on that uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was being soaked in chicken blood, and it was part of a, a ritual. When you went out to South Africa, how, how old were you when, when you went out to South Africa first? And what was that all about, the, the chicken blood thing? Well, let me, let, I'll, I'll, I'll do this as brief as I can. When I signed professional football forms at 17 years of age, because remember, I was only a YTS for one year. I had fulfilled a dream, and, and, and everybody everybody said I'd never make it as a footballer. I mean, everybody. And he, he, I proved them wrong, and that's what I, I like to do. I like to prove. Everybody tells me that I'm not going to do something. I'll do it. But when I signed professional, uh, I, I thought I was a professional footballer for life. And at 17, I got into the, the, the habit of partying, playing hard and partying hard without making a league debut for Sheffield Wednesday. But I became one of the boys, one of the players that used to go nightclubbing on a Monday night after training, on a Tuesday night after training because we had Wednesday off. Um, when I wasn't playing on the on a, on the Saturday, I'd go out Friday night, Saturday night, even Sunday. You know, I was I was seventeen years old and going out with all the superstars in Sheffield, both United and Wednesday plus Barnsley players, Rotherham, uh, Doncaster, all the local players. And I met so many people. I met so many. Sheffield bands, ABC, Evan 17, the Human League, all these people. And I was part of that crowd. And at the end of my contract, um, I knocked, again, I knocked on the gaffer's door and he said, look, we're going to release you because we, 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 we think that you've done more off the field than on the field. <laughs> Basically, it was right. It was right. And for six months, I had seven trials uh, one of them being Birmingham City, and they, it was a toss-up between me and a player called Julian Dix. I think everybody knows Julian, who they signed, and obviously they, they went for Julian. And then I'd, I'd, I'd basically given up. I was playing for Matlock Town and in the Northern Premier League. And then Mike Lennigan at Sheffield Wednesday, who was the youth coach, phoned me up and said, look, would you like to go to South Africa? And I said, well, can I have a think about it? He said, no, we need to know tomorrow because you're going to fly out in three days. And... I just looked at my mum and dad and I said, look, you know, I'm not doing anything here. I didn't want to go and work down the pit like my dad. And I just decided to go. So at 18 years of age, I got on a flight from uh, London Heathrow, direct to Johannesburg, met a complete stranger who was my roommate and my teammate. And I had three amazing years in, in South Africa playing for Arcadia Shepherds. And the first week I was there, they, they gave me an initiation where... One of the, you know, them old style baths where everybody used to get in them, them deep yeah. ones. Um, they told me to strip naked, uh, apart from wearing my football boots. And they told me to stand in the bath. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get doused in ice cold water or, you know, whatever they're going to do to me. And in walks this guy with three chickens. He just picked him up by the, he got him in around the throat, got this big cleaver out, whacked the neck, whacked the heads off. The chickens just dropped in the bath and they just it really literally is chickens with that head. I mean, they were all, and this was to get the blood to go onto my boots. And 
a week later, we played in the semi-final of the BP Top 8. We were losing 2-0 at half-time, and we won 3-2, and I scored the, the, the second and third goal. So, you know, they, 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 as they call it here, Mooty or Juju. So, you know, the Mooty worked. And I'll tell you a funny story. Played in that semi-final, the team were winning 2-0. Their Mooty man, the witch doctor, came on the pitch, and, and, and this was like in Durban, and the, the, it was like 30,000 fans in a stadium the size of Elm Park. And this Mooty man came on, and he got all the regalia on, and he's going around spraying juice everywhere and water, throwing dust and chalk dust or whatever it, whatever it were. Probably a dead animal's ashes. And and all the crowd were going absolutely wild. They were going crazy. They loved it. They loved it. They lost 3-2. This Mooty man, they chased him and chased him and chased him. And when they caught him, they beat him. They beat him up because they they said he was bad Mooty. So they they, they gave him a good idea. <laughs> um, but but that's, uh, it was your fault. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I scored two great goals and... You know, we won. We we got through to the final. So uh, the moot worked for me, but it didn't work for that poor chap. So again, I mentioned earlier on that um, you know some very well-known people. One of which is is coming on as a as a guest next week, Martin Ware. Um, but you also know, you know, a lot of really well-known players. Um, you already mentioned Julian Dix, who you were in competition with, but you went on to play for Leeds and. Um, you were, I think it's fair to say you were sort of understudied to Tony Dorigo there. But obviously you got to play with some amazing players, likes of uh, Gary Speed, obviously Vinnie Jones. Um, but but take before you talk about that, take us back to that time when you, you got to know, you know, because like Heaven 17, you, you describe yourself as a super fan. So you're not just a fan, but you're actually going out with and meeting these these guys. So, how did how did that all come about? You ju- you just sort of came about by chance, or you know how how did that come about? The thing the thing is, I'm I'm a big '80s music fan. You know, I love my '80s music. You know, and and obviously coming from Sheffield and the Human League and Number Seventeen and ABC, we well, Sheffield Wednesday won promotion that year, and it was a minor strike, and they were doing a fundraising uh, gig at the Sheffield City Hall, where local celebrities the Human League. Uh, Evan 17 didn't play live then. They didn't play live, but uh, we we did a song called We Are The Owls, which was like on the backing of uh, Thompson Twins, You Take Me Up. So it went, we are the owls. Whoa, we are the owls from Sheffield. We are the owls of Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday. And we, did a, we, we had to go on stage and perform this song. Obviously, we were miming. We were miming. And I met the Human League. And I met a friend called Paul Bauer, who I'm still very much in contact with, and Ian Reddington, the famous, is it Dirty Dick in uh, in EastEnders? Redders. And uh, they they said to me how Martin Ware was such an avid for Sheffield Wednesday fan. Uh, it would it, it, it would love to, you know, get something. And what I did, I went to, uh, obviously, I w- that's when I met... Uh, the Human League, and I became very, very close with the with the Human League at the time. And what I did, I, I got a signed uh, annual of Sheffield Wednesday. It was a, an historical book that I got that Paul gave me from Martin, and I got it signed for him. And I gave him, I got him two tickets, and I got him some VIP passes for the players' lounge. 
and he came and his hero was Lee Chapman at the time and he loved, loved Sheffield Wednesday. And the following day, I got a, a parcel full of 12-inch singles, LPs, uh, all signed by Heaven 17. And I got a special one signed by Tina Turner. Wow. Because uh, I produced Tina Turner's comeback single, Let's Stay Together. And, you know, everybody acknowledges the Tina Turner music, uh, uh, musical and uh, the movie, but they don't know that Martin Ware put Tina Turner back on the music charts with that song and that production. And uh, we've been we've been friends forever. But remember, they never toured until the late 90s. You know, they, they didn't start touring. Uh, so I never were able to see them live. But once they started performing live, I used to get in touch with Martin and I'm always in the dressing room. I'm always backstage. They, they, they make me, I'm, I'm part of the Evan 17 group. Uh, and, and, and they're amazing people. Glenn, Ian Craig, Marsh, who's, who left the group, unfortunately. And, and the, the people that have been working with them, like Billy Godfrey, the backing singer, and, and, and Rachel, they, they've, all, they've all made me welcome. And I'm just Dylan Kerr. I'm just this footballer, lad from Makesburg, that, you know, we're hanging around with Martin Fry, uh, Phil O'Key, Suzanne and Joanne and, and Martin, Greg, uh, Ian Reddington and, and my friend Paul Bauer. So it's, 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 amazing. it's been amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm like, a, you know, in with all these superstars. I'm a 17-year-old, you know, uh, going to parties with the Human League, you know, the top European band. Uh, at the time, or world bands. Yeah, because Martin was was involved in the Human League as well, wasn't he? But I'm, I'm guessing from uh, your um, performance, shall we say, a couple of minutes ago, your singing a couple of minutes ago, they never actually asked you to be part of the band. Um, I, well, I said to him, I'd just mime, I'd just mime and do that. You know, I think that's what we have to do. I can sing it. Well, maybe because they they all do the um, the retro festivals, rewind, rock them more, things like that. So maybe there's still a chance. Who knows? Well, we'll ask him on on Wednesday. Yeah. Now um, I mentioned Vinnie Jones. You uh, we haven't even got to talking about Reading yet. But um, before you came to Reading, you were at Leeds. Um, as I say, played with some you know fantastic players. That fantastic Leeds team that that won the title. Um, you did you did play for for the first team, but you couldn't quite sort of establish establish yourself with players like Tony Dorigo there. Just talk a little bit about what that time was like for for you at Leeds. Well, again, I'd, I'd, I'd come home for for Christmas and New Year to spend with my family from South Africa, and I would train at Sheffield Wednesday just to keep myself ticking over. And then when I came back the third uh, time, Howard had gone and joined Leeds. So I phoned Howard up and I said, look, can I come and train? Uh, the likes of Ian Baird, John Pearson, Andy Williams, Carl Shutt were travelling from Thorpe Esley, which is just down the road from uh, Mexborough. So we all met there and I got a lift with them. And I ended up playing a lot of uh, reserve games because the, the only had Clint Snodding and they'd signed Mick Whitlow. And then I was I was due to go back. But I asked Howard, I said to Howard and Michael Ennigan, you know, have I done so Brilliant, but you've got such a good reputation in South Africa. Go back, go back. You, 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 you're doing really, really well. The feedback that we're getting, it says you, you, you'll make it over there. And I was flying out on the Tuesday. I said goodbye, all my goodbyes on the Friday to all the lead staff and all the players. Thanked them. You know, didn't not expect anything. Played for Frickley Athletic on the Saturday. 
we won four 0 I scored two goals, and I got a phone call on Sunday saying, you know, the gaffer's changed his mind. He wants to see you on Monday, and we want to sign you for eighteen months. And and I had to call South Africa. Uh, I was signing for a team called Kaiser Chiefs. Everybody knows Lucas Rudabi and Phil Masinga, the late Phil Masinga played for them. Um, and I had to tell them, look, I'm staying at Leeds. They give me the blessing. And my former team, Arcadia, said, yep, no problem. And I joined Leeds United. Within a month, I made my debut against Brighton and Albion at home. But it was very, very competitive. And when, when we got promoted into the first division, you know, he signed Tony DiRigo. Uh, obviously, Gary Speed was there. David Rocastle came in. You know, Vinnie Jones, Gary McAllister, and he changed the squad. And I was kind of like the one behind Tony DiRigo and Gary Speed. And, but who might have complained? Look at Tony DiRigo, England international, Gary Speed, a legend, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, but it didn't stop me from, you know, always being, you know, 13th man. Remember, there's only two subs on the bench at the time. So I was always 13, 13th man. I was always in the squads. I was part of that group. And again, I only made 16 appearances in three years. But I tell you what, you know, I, I don't think any Leeds United player would ever begrudge me being part of that squad and being part of that team. And, I, you know, my, my nickname, Legend 3, you know, who else could give you a name called Ledge? Vinnie Jones. I mean, Vinnie Jones calls me Ledge. That's where Legend came from, you know. Um, and Vinnie Jones called me that. You know, he still calls me to this day. All the Leeds players, you know, whenever I speak to him, all right, Legend, I a Legend. You know, me, again, a, a young kid from Mexburg, you know, and uh, it's not me being big-headed. That Vinnie Jones gave me that nickname, you know, uh, and I'm proud of that. And uh, when I speak to him every uh, two, three times a year on, on, on video calls, no, 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 Ledge, how are you doing, Ledge? I'm like, well, Jones boy, you're the Ledge, not me. <laughs> uh, you've done more than me in football and in, in, in the movie industry. But, you know, it's, it's an honour to, 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 to be called that by Vinnie. Um, but I knew my time had come to an end when Gordon Strachan uh, sat me down and said, listen, Dill, you need to go and play. You're too good to stay in the reserves. Don't think you have to stay at Leeds United because it's Leeds United. You need to go and play. And it, he, he, he was the one that called Mark McGee up. Um, having previously, the day before, agreed to sign for Huddersfield. Um, and I had to phone once I'd been meet, met Mark and Colin at Coombe Park. It was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer, and that was the start of my football journey. Um, okay, at Sheffield Wednesday at Leeds United, it was a bit part uh, journey, but that that was when it really began at Reading Football Club. And by God, am I glad I signed for Reading? Am I glad I signed for Reading Football Club? So, so take us back to the beginning because you became quite quickly. You know, especially that promotion season, um, a, a Reading legend, and and you are, you know, you're. We, we've become friends since then, but um, you know, I, I remember seeing you you play, and um, and, uh, and many of the Reading fans from from that season who remember that season in particular, they re- regard you in the same way. So, um, just talk about how how it started at Reading. You you came came down, didn't really know anyone. Um, you know, how, how did it all start and, and how, how did it go to start with for you at Reading? Well, I couldn't, like I said, I came down, uh, I didn't know anything about Reading Football Club. I came down to Elm Park. I met uh, my first player I, I, I shook hands with was Andy Gray. 
Stuart Lovell talked about him the other day. He couldn't get in the team because Andy Gray uh, was keeping him out at the time. Uh, I met all the staff, which um, I forgot his name now. Go on. Who was the Welshman? Mike Lewis. Mike Lewis is the one that brought me. Um, he, he actually battered down Leeds United because Bill Fotherby wanted 100,000 and uh, Mike Lewis said no, 50. And then obviously they agreed on 75,000. And I met the staff, uh, Rabbit's wife, Jane. Uh, I met other some other staff there. And then Colin and uh, Mark took me to Coombe Park. I met Martin Dina, uh, who owned Coombe Park. Kevin Dillon, who, who lived on Coombe Park. And I always remember that first week of pre-season when I, when I, when I joined. Uh, I was staying at Curtin's Farm. And I don't think Curtin's Farm exists anymore. I think somebody took sent me a photo the other day. It's like... In, it's it's run down ruin now. Yeah, and, and I stayed in Coombe Park for three months. Uh, I stayed in Coombe Park for a year, uh, but that's another story. Um, but the first week of training, it was hard. But we decided that we go to the White Swan. I think in in Pangbourne, and we 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 had an afternoons uh, camaraderie session. Session, session, I think it's called, isn't it? It was a bonding session, you know, and 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 when I got home or when I left that place, we we actually, I think everybody knew we got the right team and the right squad. And I remember when I got my signing on fee, which was £10,000 back in the day, I went into the bookies and on Oxford Road and we were 33-1 to get promoted, not win the league, to get promoted. And I was I was so tempted. I was so tempted, you know, because I knew I got this feeling in my stomach. Because remember, at Sheffield Wednesday, my first season, we got promoted. My two seasons at Sheffield, uh, Leeds United, we won the championship back to back. And I had this feeling that, you know, uh, we'd, we'd, win the, we'd win the league. But £10,000 not knowing, you know, league what league, Two, as it were, and then when we went to Huddersfield and played the first game, we won three 0 and we pummeled them. We pummeled them. Uh, Ex Reading goalkeeper Steve Francis were in goal. Shaka had just made his, you know, uh, uh, his, his appearance. He, in he, he, there was a lot of pressure on Shaka that game because obviously of, of Steve. Um, and then from from then on, I knew I knew I'd made the right decision, you know, because of the the the, the dressing room was absolutely immense. Immense that dressing room. All right, Dylan, time for another very quick break. The time's going very quickly, but we'll be back right after this. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So Dylan, that, that season, what, what an amazing season. Um, the, the promotion season in 93-94. Uh, what was it about that, that team? And, you know, how did it feel when you finally got over the line? Just, just the, the, the spirit of the team. 
I've had it at Sheffield Wednesday. I've had it everywhere I've gone, and I've actually brought it to to, to my to, to my role as a coach. But I've actually taken. I took some of it from Leeds to Reading. Got everybody, you know, going out. Got everybody involved in in with the fans. Got everybody involved with going to the Royal Rendezvous. We had his own little uh, players bar underneath the the main stand at Elm Park that we painted, we stripped, we 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 bought the alcohol. You know, the last person out the bar locked up. You know, we 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 even we even sent Jeff Hopkins and Mickey Gooding because they were suspended to France to 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 get the cheap booze. You know, when you had to go over to France and, and buy the cheap booze, the old Del Boy uh, trigger and Denzel trick. You know, you know who, <laughs> and and we'd make and and every, anybody was invited, and it was only a small place, but anybody that wanted to come in, if we could fit them in, we'd fit them in. Paul Tanner would come in. Uh, we'd have this guy called Doc. What would um, he, it was an Irish guy, and he'd always have. Fillet steak or T-bone steak stuffed in his pockets that he wanted to sell to anybody in that lounge. Even the chairman and Graham Denton and uh, um, Ian Wood Smith, they would come into the bar, you know, because we didn't leave. We didn't leave, um, you know. And and there's one is 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 a classic. Um, the day I nearly killed my wife or my wife to be. We, I, we played, I think, I, I can't remember who we played against, but we had a night out and that night out it would end up in Bracknell where I would meet my wife-to-be. It was our first official night out. And obviously after the game, you were straight in the bath and within 15 minutes, Jordy went in the bath and jumped straight out and went straight to the bar. Um, I went in the bath, got straight to the bar and I didn't have anything to eat and I ended up going to Bracknell um, we went back to Curtin's farm. A brother dropped me off, and then she lived in Mortimer. And she called me at three o'clock in the morning, said that she wanted to come and stay. I drove up to Mortimer, picked her up. I was absolutely steamboat. I was absolutely steaming. And obviously, I drove back, and that's when I had my car accident. And, and luckily, luckily, she only broke a collarbone, uh, but it could have been a lot, lot worse. I'd, I'd, I'd not reacted. You know the way I did when it happened. It's not something I'm proud of. The fact that it, it still haunts me to this day that uh, I did something so stupid. But uh, yeah, but that's that's the environment that we were in 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 that league that season. We would always go out together. We would go to Washington Heights. We would go to U- when Utopia opened. It was like you know it was heaven for us. Obviously, um, you know, and and every Tuesday night because we were off on Wednesday. Uh, we would go there and, you know, we'd be in there at nine o'clock at night and we would leave at half past two. And on my sta- one, one of my four stag nights, uh, I, invo- I invited Sir John to Utopia and he still owes me for two bottles of Moe uh, that, he, that he bought us, uh, but then disappeared and, 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 and left the building without paying. So I actually picked up the tab on that. But, you know, for, for Sir John to come out to Utopia that night for, my, for one of my stag nights was, was, was amazing. It was amazing. And and when, how did your song come about, Dylan Kermelor? Because I, I, I'm guessing that you know this, but I don't know if you know this. That it, it's a, a, you know, it's it's not an original song. It comes from another song. Do you know what the song is? Kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. So that like was, uh, so there's like some really famous people have sung that. Jose Carrera, I think it's I think you say it, Jose Carreras. Obviously, he didn't sing Dylan Kermelor. He sang. Can buy Armalor, but how did, when did you first hear that? How did that come about? 
I think it, it was a, I think it was the third game, and I think we played away. Um, and I, I, you know, there's nothing better than playing football and having somebody chant your name. I mean, whether it's one person or fifty thousand people, you still hear it. You know, obviously, you get you get abuse from away fans, and I've had my run-ins with Bristol Rovers fans and Cardiff City fans, and you know, supporters that you know when when you win, they're they're all against you, but. It, it, it became such an iconic song, especially at, uh, at home. Uh, and, and, and I feel proud that the fans actually, you know, respected the way I played. You know, me and Jilts had such a good, such a good partnership, like Scotty Taylor and uh, Ray Ranson and, and Andy Bernal, Jeff Hopkins. Uh, we, we had such a good, you know, uh, partnership on them left and right flanks. Uh, and remember my first goal for, for Reading, I played it right back. You know, and uh, we just signed Ray Wallace on loan from Leeds, and he was a right back. And Mark McGee decided to play me right back because I don't think he fancied Ray when he came. Uh, and you know, the, the 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 togetherness that the players had at Elm Park with the supporters, I don't think anybody will ever have at Reading Football Club or a lot of football clubs. You know, there's there's plenty of day when we'd be at the Royal Rendezvous. There's plenty of day we'd be at Pangbourne Working Men's Club. We'd be in, we'd be in Oxford Road. We'd be at the Sped Eagle, you know, not not being big big hitters and ignoring people, but sat with them, playing dominoes with them, playing cards with them, laughing, joking, and 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 drinking with them, you know. And it wasn't all they would buy us a beer because we're Reading players. We'd, we'd, we'd buy rounds, you know. We 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 treat everybody just as punters, and 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 again, you know, the the fact that we we're, we're allowed to talk about this now uh, on, with this podcast, which is fantastic, by the way, Mark. Um, it, it gives an insight to to how we how we grew up as players, how we developed as people, you know. And, and I still speak to people like Graham Denton, Sue Roberts, Jay Morthouse. I, I don't speak to my ex-wife. Um, I've not spoken to her since '97. Um, I think that's a blessing. <laughs> um, you know, I'm speaking to you, Mark. I'm, I, you know, I'm on this podcast speaking to my former teammates, ex players that have played for Reading that I've just met or I've just been introduced to. Uh, and it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely ama- amazing for me to, 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 to tell people about that community spirit, that, that togetherness we had. Uh, because Reading, Reading Town Centre, there was, there was only Valbons, the casino, Washington Heights. And I think there's only one pub in the town centre, you know, compared to what it is now. I mean, you know, the Turtle Purple and, you know, the places like the post office, places like, you know, down at the, the um, whatever building it is. Um, it's, there's, there's all bars and restaurants. There wasn't that there. There wasn't that yeah. there. It was, it was Utopia. That was it. It was Utopia. Do you remember, uh, do you remember um, Martins or I think it's called Sloppy Joe's by the station? Did you ever go there? Yeah, but I mean, look at Reading Station back in the day. You know, there was, yeah. it, was it was just a, one track. Look at it now. Yeah. You know, we. I moved to Mortimer and I used to be in the Vic, you know, that, uh, with Reading fans. Yeah. You know, you know, great. It was brilliant. Win, lose or draw, you were always, you know, obviously they would be disappointed and, the, you know, if you had a bad game, they would tell you. But, you know, that that's the thing we had. It was such a close-knit group. Andy Bernal spoke about it. Archie spoke about it. Uh, Shaka spoke about it. It, it, was, it was a different, we were on a different level that them two years, them two seasons yeah, that, I was there. That was that was such a, a brilliant time to be a Reading fan as well. And then obviously the the season after promotion, um, you know, fa- 
if you if you take the season as a whole, fantastic season, finished second. Obviously, bittersweet for you with the the playoff final, not not just because of the defeat and the manner of defeat, but you know you you didn't even um, uh, get a place on the on the bench, did you? Um, you were there, but but not as a not as a um, a player ready to come on as a as, as sub or anything. What what are your feelings about that season at, at Reading? Well, it started off brilliantly, and then. You know, obviously, Mark and Colin left. I think they made a big mistake at the time. But obviously, um, Leicester City were a big, big club. Was it Leicester or was it Wolves they went yeah, to Yeah, Leicester. Leicester. And then Wolves was afterwards. Leicester was a big, big club. And I was actually supposed to join them because Mickey Whitlow was supposed to, my former teammate at Leeds, he was supposed to sign with Brian Little at Villa, but it fell through. And I was supposed to join Mark at Leicester. Uh, had Mickey gone. Uh, that didn't work out. Then everything started to go a bit, you know, obviously I don't think Jimmy Quinn and Mickey Gooding were ready for, for management. They took over, over a very, very successful duo and because of the squad of players that they had, it kept going, it kept going. Um, you know, but then we played at Millwall. Uh, I, I, I tried to do a, a reverse pass to, to Mickey Gooding instead of playing uh, Jimmy Quinn in. It didn't work. Mickey Gooding got sent off. We had a big bust up in the dressing room. And then we played against Ipswich Town at home. We got beat 4-1. I think Tony Rougier gave me an absolutely torrid time. Uh, Jilksy didn't help me that day. Jilksy went missing. You know, so I was left alone with uh, with uh, Rougier, who was quick as anything. Uh, and then I lost my I lost my place. And, you know, the, I think then, you know, I knew the writing was on the wall because I was, I, was I, was, I was out of contract. And, you know, when, when, when things started going, you know, and, and then I had to prove myself again. You know, we'd left Coombe Park. I can't remember where I went to train. And I started, you know, working my way back in the team. I got back in the team. Uh, and then all, all, all of a sudden then the, which is their choice, they're, they're the managers. Um, they decided for the playoffs they were going to go with three at the back. Um, especially when we played Bolton Wonders at home because they had a little jinky winger called David Lee and they wanted Jilsey to play against him, um, which I understood, you know, uh, you know, I, did, I didn't like it because I was an ever-present, really. Um, but that's the, that, that's the, what they went with. They went with three at the back, Jilsey as a left wing back, and it worked for them. And they, they continued that to the end of the season. Um, we went into the playoffs at Tranmere, um, and I really, I really pissed Jimmy Quinn off. And, and Quinny knows this now because... It took a lot, lot of time for me to to to, to talk to Mickey and, and, and Quinny, and it's only recently that we we actually, you know, bygones bygones, and we 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 we, we I, I don't know how they feel, but you know, it took me a lot of time, and I met Jordy a couple of times at Reading, and I, I found it very very hard to speak to him because we had really really difference of opinions, and we. We played at Red at Tranmere. We won the game, and I, and, and I just I just said it, and I, I, I wasn't being disrespectful. I said, "Well, you know, we're still Mark McGee's team. It's still the same players," and and I know Quinny didn't like that because he, he told me um, after that, and I think it, it just culminated in you know my frustration and not playing. And then we got to the final, and the night before the final, Jordy told me just go to the bar and get drunk, you know, and. Every every kid's wish is to play at Wembley Stadium, you know, and and that got took away from me. Even though I, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't playing, but the way that he told me, 
um, that really hurt as well. But it didn't stop the fact that I, I was on the bench with Phil Horner and the substitutes, and I was there on the side of the pitch trying to get the players to, you know, especially uh, in the second half when, when when the pressure was on. And even at, at, uh, when it came to an injury time, uh, extra time, I don't know if you remember, but I was the one that ran around the Greyhound track and giving it this to all the Reading fans to try and get, because we, we were under the cosh. Um, and unfortunately, you know, all that good work, all that hard work, um, you know, it wasn't meant to be Archie missed the penalty. You'd have put your life on Archie scoring that penalty. Um, and But I think the, 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 the game changed when uh, Lee Nogan came off because he was the one that stopped Alan Stubbs. And Alan Stubbs, once he started playing, uh, him, and, him and Alan McAteer, uh, Jason McAteer, sorry, him and Jason McAteer, they, they, they were the ones that started that comeback. And if you watch the game, you will see that. And, and that's no fault of Quinny's, but Noggs was running everywhere. Noggs had an engine and he chased and he ran back, he ran forward, but he had to come up with a car strain. And, you know, Quinny, Quinny bless him, you know, he, he didn't have that energy. And, and it allowed Stubbs in, it allowed the fullbacks and it allowed... Jason McAteer to run the show and uh, Shaq has already spoke about the disappointment of, of it you know and I've got one picture where I'm you know Aussie's crying and I'm knelt down next to him and said listen you know hey you know you've, you've been brilliant everybody was brilliant that season Dylan just going back and looking back at your whole time at Reading from when you you, you first came in didn't know anyone until when when you left how, how do you feel about that time now Oh, love it, love it, love it. I mean, I'm still in touch with everybody that I've ever known at Reading. You know, whether it's through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, I will get, I will message people on their birthdays. They'll message me on, you know, it's good. You know, and sometimes you, the memories come up where you, you've got your kit on, you've, you've got your, your blonde bleach, blonde highlights, your earrings pierced, your, your ears are pierced, you've got a necklace on. You know, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing time for me. Because remember... I didn't want to leave Leeds United because I thought I would get my chance. And funny enough, Tony DiRigo never got injured whilst he, while I was there. As soon as I left, he got frigging injured all the time. You know, so, and then obviously Jim Beglin took over and, and then Kevin Sharp came and other, other players uh, came. And, and I missed that. But, you know, thank God Mark McGee and, Col- and Gordon Strachan were best mates. And, and the reason I signed for Reading and not Fordersfield was I phoned Billy Air up at Blackpool. I went, Billy, Reading or Uddersfield? And he went, Reading, 100% Reading. That, that, that club's got a good management. They've got a good chairman. Sign for them. And, and I, was, I should have signed for Blackpool after I went on loan. But the, the, uh, Mr. Fotherby wanted, again, he wanted 100,000. And uh, Blackpool couldn't afford it. You know, they, they couldn't afford it. So I ended up, you know, going back to Leeds. Uh, and then I went to, I said, I went to, uh, I signed for Reading, man, and I'm so thankful I did. Well, we've got next Sunday, we've got the start of our countdown to the greatest Reading 11 from the last 50 years, right? Who's, so, who's, this, this, who's this wee man called Shorey? I mean, you know. So what, I, I wanna, what I want to ask you is who makes it into your favourite Reading 11? So you don't have to necessarily name the whole eleven, but who would you pick? Shaka would be Shaka is number one, you know, without without doubt. Shaka, um, you know, you know, 
No, I can't. I can't be disrespectful to anybody, but you know, the, the time I was at Reading, you know, you got Scotty Taylor, Jiltsy, you got Aussie in midfield, Kevin Dillon in midfield, got Parky. Parky was the heart and soul of that midfield. You you got Quinny. Quinny was brilliant. Quinny, Quinny, Quinny. We, we before we wouldn't have won that league because there was an altercation at Coombe Park one day between Quinny and Scotty Taylor, uh, and it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice and. We all we were we were all angry angry with Quinny. We were all mad because of what he did. Uh, and to be fair, you know Scotty Taylor was a wind up merchant, and and when he and he had this horrible laugh, <laughs> whenever he did something clever or he did something, he would do that, and that would wind people up. And it wound Quinny up. And we had a meeting. We had a meeting uh, at Coombe Park that day, and the 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 choice was: does Quinny stay or do we do, do does Quinny go? But we collect collectively. We all agreed he had to stay. We all agreed he had to stay because Quinny, without Quinny, we wouldn't have got promoted that year. You know, Archie did his best. You know, um, and he, Andy Gray couldn't get in the team. Luckily, Quinny never got injured. Neither did Archie. So we always had you no know, consistency up front. But you know, we, we had that meeting and, and, and we, we we decided for the best best of the club. You know we, that Quinny would have to would stay, and you know it, it 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 paid off. It paid off, and we're forever thankful that Quinny did. We did we did make that decision. Well, look, Dylan, we've been we've been chatting for uh, for almost an hour, so um, that's uh, that's it for for this Sunday special. So, look, thanks ever so much for for joining me. Been been great to to speak to you as, as we do, but normally, as you say, you're asking the questions, so. Uh, nice, nice to do it the other way around this time. Yeah, like I said, Mark. It's, look, I mean, we 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 are still we we still in South Africa. We cannot have fans. Fans are not allowed at the games, and it's 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 killing the likes of my club because in in Soweto we are the Soweto giants of South African football. Not Kaiser Chiefs, not Orlando Pirates. Historically, it's it's swallows, and we can't get any fans. But what I would like to say is, you know, for these next remaining home games and away games, if possible. No, the Medeski's got to be sold out. They, the fans have got to get behind this team. Whether they like the team, whether they like the, the way they're playing, whether the, 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 the fact is they have got to stay in that championship. You know, so I would urge every Reading fan, every loyal Rs fan, to, to try and, and get to the Medeski and support the team at home. And if they can get away, the diehards will always go away. But if you can get to away games as well, you know, because players love, players love the fans. You know, they, I think Martin Allen was speaking about a fan that was having a go at Alan Pardew the other day. Yes, you're going to get that, you know, uh, but it's because the fans care. The fans are the heart and soul of that football club. And without the supporters, Reading Football Club are in danger of being relegated, you know. And But if the fans get behind them, if the players know that the fans are behind them, that's 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 one hell of a bonus. That will that will that will that will help. Believe me, that will help. I just wish we could have them them fans here. All right, Dylan. Well, brilliant to speak to you. Really, really enjoyed that, and hope uh, hope you all listening enjoyed it as well. I'm sure you did. So, a reminder that Simon Osborne is our guest on Tuesday. So that's available from six thirty p.m. on Tuesday evening, and of course, Reading are in action again on Tuesday at the. Select car leasing stadium, although as Dylan did, a lot of you still call it the Madeski or the Madstad. That's fine. 
um, where they're taking on Stoke. So join us and Simon Osborne on Tuesday if you can. And come on, you ours. You ours. Sports Social Podcast Network.